All right, let's pray and let's go, y'all. Uh, hallow me, O Lord. Amen. All right, happy Easter. After a week off, it's nice to see you again. Thanks for coming back. I've been trying to sort out exactly how we might go forward. Um, originally, as often happens, I was drawn to the problems uh, as they multiplied across all the different places and people became more and more anxious and worried. Now I've begun to see articles about people's fear of re-entering society, which is really very interesting. Uh, those of more and more of those are popping up. And then, uh, you know, I wonder how we'll do sort of going forward, especially as things continue to be heated in many different directions. And when I think about that, though, I often, um, it's an interesting thing, you know, sin multiplies and always has a new venue or a new axis, but the gospel stays the same. And so I've been thinking a lot about you and also about me and how we go forward as the people who are sheltered by God's hand or who live within Christ's body or are always surrounded by angels or have divine protection. And that in itself should give us a load of consolation. Um, among the things I read in the last week, uh, was an article about human happiness and actually how the brain functions and how the amygdala, the place where you, it's really in your brain to meant, it's meant, it's the place that's meant to protect you, but it sort of overreacts and sometimes magnifies our fears and doesn't account for all the good variables, how that can be shut down by a warm bath or uh, a sunset or a weighted blanket or exercise, and then also how to uh, stimulate uh, the prefrontal cortex where calm from from which calm comes or where happiness is found, our emotions are located there. And one of the primary ways to do that is by um, envisioning or meditating on compassion or mercy which I find fascinating because that's exactly what Luther says, right? He, he talks about reading scripture and meditating on the good gifts of God. So I tell you all of that in order to, to tell you this, you know, when I started, I was observing how many ways we could be in pain. And now as we grow closer to the end of this, I begin to imagine ways that we can instead live in calm and in happiness despite the troubles that will still be there next month and the month after. So how is it that you and I can go forward in a very challenging world? And it'll always be challenging, right? Ask the older folks who are here tonight. Um, if you are younger, somehow think that you will outgrow it. That is not the case. You'll have a bit of rest, perhaps, but then, you know, another tragedy will come to meet you or another trouble. Um, that's the way life works. So how can we, you know, move through, if you want to use the analogy of Lent and Easter, how can we move through the troubles and even the betrayals and even suffering and death? How can we move through that 
and live within the joy of the resurrection or the calm of the church being put back together. All these wonderful stories we have now of Jesus meeting the disciples on the road to Emmaus or cooking them dinner over charcoal, teaching them to fish again or calming Thomas. And how can we live that way? And one of the ways I think that probably we neglect is simply saying our prayers. So uh, here I am, uh, just to point number one. Our anxiety and worry and fear are sticky. So how could we go forward? Um, I talked to Pastor Nelson a week or so ago, and we were talking about some of the different troubles that people in the congregation were facing. And, you know, he just sort of observed kind of cleverly, but offhandedly, but the way it was down in him, it was very nice. You know, no matter how hard we look, we won't find the answer if we're looking in the wrong spot. It's just kind of basic spiritual direction, right? So one of the things I want to do is try to push you toward holiness. And uh, I know, you know, immediately that comes to mind, perhaps, and holiness seems like uh, we confuse holiness with puritanism or no fun or no calm or people finger wagging or pastors who think their job is to straighten people out rather than artfully apply the law and the gospel of Christ. And, you know, this old thing from H.L. Mencken, Puritanism, Puritanism is the haunting fear that someone somewhere might be happy, right? And so often people have that image of Christianity. Um, this notion that Jesus is just here to ruin our fun. And that's a particularly... Um, immature and also sort of uh, an undeveloped idea of who Jesus is and what he wants from us. And I've often given you this quote from Capon, but, you know, it says it in three lines better than I can say it. The reason for not going out and sitting all you like is the same reason for not going out and putting your nose in a slicing machine, right? It's dumb, it's stupid, it's no fun. Some individual sins may have pleasure still attached to them, because of the residual goodness of the realities they are abusing. Adultery can indeed be pleasant and tying one on can amuse, but betrayal, jealousy, love grown cold, and the gray dawn of the morning after are nobody's idea of a good time. And so if we could think about Jesus rather than some enforcer as instead our brother, our friend, uh, the one who loves us and pulls us close and wants to show us a different way home. And maybe we would uh, be a bit more calm and a bit more comfortable in the world itself. So this short little thing tonight, what I want to try to do, just a, just two things. One is I want to see if I can get you to have a more favorable and embracing opinion of holiness. And then also understand that that is precisely what you're asking whenever you pray the Lord's Prayer. And I guess if I could say a third thing just right off the bat, so I make sure to say it. If you would say the Lord's Prayer 10 times a day, you would be a different person. Your family would be different. Your church would be different. And the world would be different insofar as it surrounds you. 
if you said it a few times in the day and when you woke up in the middle of the night worried about things, if you said it then three or four times or until it puts you back to sleep, your life would be different and mine would be too. And that would be because that prayer moves us into a place where holiness has the last word. So let's let's try that. Um, if we think about uh, holiness, uh, it, it immediately brings us to think about Eden and then about heaven. Because holiness, like love, is a synonym, synonym for all the things that uh, God gives or God is or that God loves or that God creates. So love and light and warmth and beauty and community and joy, all of those things are actually another way to talk about holiness, which is another way to talk about love. And so, um, you know, you know how this went wrong, the story. And we started by saying, you know, if we told the right stories, uh, things would work out. And again, you know, the, the brain science, if you, if you tell the right story, um, to your prefrontal cortex, if you, if you tell the right story rather than the wrong story, if you tell the story about mercy rather than judgment, if you tell the story about being safe rather than being threatened, if you tell the story about being redeemed rather than being judged, if you tell the story about um, I can by the grace of God rather than I can't and I'm lost, your whole world is different. And of course, that's the story of Adam and Eve. They went looking for happiness on their own and they got partway there. You know, they ate from the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But before they could condemn themselves forever, right, um, mercy stopped them. So they're put out of the garden before they can sin again. And in some way, that expulsion is an act of mercy. God protects them from being hardened in their sin forever. So, you know, they got to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but not to the tree of life and death, where they'd be hardened in their choice forever. Um, that, of course, is the definition of hell, when you get your own way forever. And so from that moment on, our story is a story about redemption. Now, God won't break us in order to save us but he will do his best to have his way with us. Uh, later, you might read this little bit from the Ten Commandments. Um, it's Luther. And he talks about how the Lord uses the Ten Commandments to lure us home. That's, well, almost nobody is taught to think about the Ten Commandments that way. And yet here it is from Luther at the close of the commandments. You know, we're given the Ten Commandments. So if you just actually go to the, if you can just kind of go to the bold spots. We're given the Ten Commandments to make our whole life pleasing to God. These virtues, right, are here to attract and allure us. Yes, they, of course, go the other way. But just for tonight, I want you to think about the joy of this holiness expressed in the Ten Commandments. These commandments are important to God and they are meant to reward and bless and bestow all good things on us on those who prize them and gladly act and live in, live in accordance with them. 
ask what God wants from you, and you will find that you have a gracious father, a gracious father who teaches you to do good to all and to do that purely out of love for God and in order to please him. And then you can live in the confidence. And this is such a, you know, you were never taught to think about this. Live in the confidence that he will abundantly reward you for all you do. So imagine, imagine this is the story. We go our own way. We fall. God still loves us and wants to save us. He saves us by telling us once again what holiness looks like. And he does that so that he can have us home again. But on the way, he shows us a way to live our lives in beauty and calm and peace. And he promises to reward us all along the way. And I wonder if you and I can begin to think about our lives in that way, even in the midst of a threatening world. Christians really feel under the gun, all the things I read and the reactions I watch and how people think about the world. It's as, it's as if the world, everything has come unglued and, uh, you know, we've lost any sort of sense of respectability, any sort of grip on reality, and um, the world has turned against us. Yeah, we actually know that. That was the story of Holy Week. We, we know that story. That's our story. Sometimes the world favors us. Sometimes it does not. But whether it favors us or not, one thing that we can do is carry on and live in holiness. And so we remember Jesus' words about when, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. You know, if my father wanted to save me, he would send angels to save me. But no, um, we sort of carry on in the way of Jesus, which is the way of holiness and suffering, and yet not in despair. We remember that we're always held within the hands of Christ, always uh, within the can of our Heavenly Father, and that death never has the last word with us, that the last word with us is always resurrection. Now, I suspect that for many of you, you at least know that about yourselves. When you think about yourself, maybe your own relationship with Christ uh, or with your Heavenly Father, you are uh, perhaps not quite so worried. But I think you probably are quite worried about your children and about your friends and about your parents and maybe about your church and perhaps about your state or your nation. And maybe if you think far enough out about, you know, the way of the world and what will happen. Um, just to give you something practical to do toward all of this, um, I want to offer you the Lord's Prayer. Not only for yourself, but actually to, uh, or in the direction of others. So here's where we've been. We're so nervous about the world, so anxious, so worried. And the cure for that worry is holiness. Yet we often rebel against that holiness because it's unnatural. And it doesn't seem like it will take us where we want to go. 
And yet, if you watch Jesus, who lives a holy life, even as he suffers and he dies, it takes him exactly where he wants to go and exactly where you and I want to go into the care of the Father, where we despair completely of ourselves and are resurrected to a new thing. So think about the Lord's Prayer as one step in that. And for a moment, I'll show you why. Think about the Lord's Prayer as a way of uh, setting the whole world awash in holiness. So uh, just for tonight, you know, think about the single thing that the Lord's Prayer wants is holiness. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way. I'm going to try to make a case for it. And then I'm going to encourage you to pray it, at least with that thought in mind. Other days or other times, you pray it for all sorts of other things, which are surely there. But at least for tonight, uh, let's try to think about the Lord's Prayer as a plea for holiness. To do that, I want to put these first three things together. Um, Seven, eight, and nine. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, I want to just hold those together as one line. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So he's our Father. You have a Father. I have a Father as well. We share this Father. And this Father is in heaven. That's where he is home or at home, or that's where he lives. And for now, don't think about it as distance. If, we, you, if you've been in Bible study with me before, we've talked about whether heaven is near or far. Um, I favor the idea of it being very near. But, but don't think about it for dis- as distance tonight. Think about it as difference. Our Heavenly Father lives in a different place. He lives in a place where everything is warm and safe and wonderful and beautiful and loving and communal. And it's that way because it's a holy place. The struggle that we have in this world, earth, the struggle that we have in our world is that our world is polluted. Our world is unholy. We chase other gods and we deny the virtues that God would give us. But look at the possibilities here. Our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So in the simplest way, we say, our father, you're holy, right? So the synonym of father and holy, hallowed be thy name means um, that God himself is holy. You know this from other times. We've talked about how the name reveals the person. So when we say, you know, hallowed be thy name. You remember from the small catechism how this gets explained. Um, God's name is hallowed indeed without our prayer. We pray in this petition that it may be hallowed among us also, right? So God is holy. And what we're begging is that this holiness comes to fill our home too. So very simply, God is holy and where he lives is holy too. It's soaked with holiness. Heaven is awash with holiness. Everything is wonderful and bright and warm. And this holiness, where everyone is holy, it it pulls them all together. It's the glue that sticks things together. It soaks through people. It makes everything wonderful and the opposite of anxious and fearful and worried. So our Heavenly Father is holy and he's quite at home with that. 
Now, how could we be holy too, right? You know that holiness is so pure and powerful that it would vaporize anything that's not holy. This is why we can't see God face to face. But God finds a way. And when love, I'm sorry, when holiness is expressed as love, uh, it comes to us in the sacramental touch of Jesus. So when we pray, we say, tonight, when you go to sleep, Father, you're holy and I'm not, but come to me. Make my home holy too. Um, if you wanted to talk about this in Lutheran terms, this is actually a plea for justification. Or this is a plea for the incarnation. This is a plea for the touch of Jesus. You remember how um, sometimes people would fall at Jesus' feet and say, depart from me, I'm an unclean man. People, people knew Jesus was holy. He was other. He was otherworldly. He was the son of God. And yet he didn't destroy them. His touch hallowed them, forgave them, blessed them, brought them near, restored them, resurrected them. Right? So, Father, you're holy, and I want to be holy too. Right? If, were I holy, my fears and my, my anxieties... Uh, they would they would disappear. My worries would be gone. So what are we begging? We're begging that his kingdom would come to us. His holiness would come to us. His love would come to us. His justification would come to us. His Jesus would come to us. So help us. How? By sending your kingdom. Or in other words, um, make earth like heaven and heaven like earth. Your will be done, which means your holy way and not my unholy way. Your holy story and not my unholy story. Let my house be like your house, right? Where everybody happily and willingly and freely does as they're asked. Restore us to the time before Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you will, um, this is a plea for sanctification, that God would have his way with us. And so it's a plea for the Holy Spirit, right? So this is really interesting. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the first half of the prayer. Father, you're holy. Father, make me holy too by sending your Son. Father, make me holy too by animating me with your Spirit, right? Come and have your way with me. And we normally hear that in absolution. And this beautiful line where he says, um, you know, on earth as it is in heaven, right? What we're hoping for is to close the gap so that how we live here will look like how our Heavenly Father lives there, right? Bring heaven to earth. For that, um, we'll need a bit of help. So, Father, make us holy. Father, send your son to touch us. 
Father, send your Holy Spirit to animate us. Father, justify us. Father, sanctify us. That's the first beg of the prayer. Father, take my worries away. Father, make me less anxious. Father, still my fears. You beg this. And because you beg our Father, you're begging it for yourself and your spouse and your kids and your parents and your relatives and those you love and those you hate. Because you're praying that heaven would be like earth, on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this now. Because my fear and my my anxiety and my worry, it's killing me, right? How will that happen? Only if we depend on God for his gifts. So give us every day what we need. Give us what we need each day for each day right? Give us all we need for each day, each day. So you wake up in the morning, you say it, you say it again at noon, you say it again in the evening, you say it before you go to bed, you say it in the middle of the night, you say it when you're not saying anything else. Give us what we need, right? Of course, this is food on your table, but it's also food on the altar. It's the viaticum, the last supper before you die. It's everything you need. It is mercy. It is holiness. It is gift. It is blessing. It is the reduction of fear. It is the increase of joy, right? Give us each day, every day, what we need. And these, of course, uh, are not just material things, but most importantly, merciful things. Forgive us and teach us to forgive. How will heaven come to earth when I am forgiven and I forgive, when you are forgiven and you forgive? If there's anything that's in short supply and making everybody crazy in the world right now, it is forgiveness. One cannot repent enough to be forgiven. And when one repents, there is always the demand for more. Absolution no longer exists, only the demand that we justify ourselves. And that's always the demand of the powerful who oppress the weak. Jesus has another way, right? He forgives us before we ask. So they're nailing him to the cross. Father, forgive them. They're idiots. They have no idea what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do, right? So you and I too forgive in advance. We don't wait for people to repent. We don't wait for people to pretty themselves up. We don't wait for people to be deserving. We're not pretty. We're not deserving. We can't help ourselves. Neither can other people. So look where we've been. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, close the gap between heaven and earth. How will that happen? If you give us gifts that sustain us, both body and soul, And if we put those gifts to good use, if we forgive as we have been forgiven, that is, if we see and say and do as Jesus sees and says and does. And then this final thing, and this is so critical. Don't let me chase evil and don't let evil chase me. Lead us not into temptation. So keep us away from anything that's evil, right? And deliver us from the evil one. You know, there was a bit of a controversy a few, a few years ago when the Pope said, 
it's okay to pray it this way, that you can personalize this. So you're basically saying, lead us, don't lead me toward the devil, but deliver me from Satan himself. Don't lead me into evil, deliver me from Satan. Don't let me chase evil, don't let evil chase me. Don't let me catch evil, don't let evil catch me. This is a complete denial of everything that is antichrist and especially the antichrist. So stay away, run away, stay away, run away, right? Flee evil. You know, we've talked about this forever. You know, what's the Christian life? Touch good, don't touch evil. It's precisely what's happening here. Touch your daily bread, body and soul. Touch forgiveness for you and for others. But don't touch evil. And especially, don't touch the evil one. It's all around us now. Um, witchcraft and the demonic and uh, spells and calling on, uh, on, on uh, spirits, evil spirits. It's, ever, it's, it's so commonplace. It's unbelievable. It's, it's a normal way now to try to express power. So it's another way to try to overcome fear by becoming powerful um, rather than weak, by becoming oppressive rather than merciful. We beg just the opposite. And then we remember, um, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. So kingdom means that Jesus came no matter how hard life is. Jesus is king. And power means that he will um, have the last word. Right now, he works by mercy and means, but someday Christ will return and uh, everybody will have the way that they've chosen. And then this very interesting thing, kingdom and power and glory. Now, you remember from Christmas sermons, I'm sure, when the angels sang, glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. Glory is a technical term for when the holdings of heaven comes down to earth, right? Now look what's prayed for at the end of the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. This is the return of the holiness of earth come back to the holiness of heaven. This is where the gap is ultimately closed. This is begging for us to go back to Eden. Jesus is king. He has the last word. And with his last word, he closed the gap and he sweeps us up to heaven. So, um, you know, we're already at time. Just, but think about, see if you can think about the Lord's Prayer. See if it will help you. I mean, do this for a month or do it for six months. See if this helps you. Think about the Lord's Prayer as the invocation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. My Holy Father, thy kingdom come, send Jesus. Thy will be done, send the Holy Spirit good and make earth like heaven on earth as it is in heaven. What do I need for that? I'll need something every day. I'll need the joy of your love and um, the sustenance for my body, right? I'll need forgiveness because I'm a sinner and I sin. I'll need discernment. I'll need to stay away from evil and I'll need to flee the things that would overtake me. And I need hope, right? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. That's the hope 
that I don't dread the future. I welcome the future. Why? Because Christ is king and Christ has the last word with me and Christ will someday sweep me up to heaven. Glory will return and everything will be holy again. So I just leave you with this then um, from Padre Pio. Pray hope and don't worry. Worry is useless. God is merciful and he will hear your prayer. What you and I always have to remember is that God wants his children home again. God wants you home again. God wants me home again. God wants your children home and mine, your friends and mine, your families and mine, your parents and mine, your enemies and mine. And of course, uh, evil is our real enemy, not persons, powers and principalities. Jesus has no enemies, so we have no enemies. So I just, you know, if I can give you a little bump and a nudge, if you could um, double the times you say the Lord's Prayer, if you say it once, say it twice, and then double it again, and maybe double it again, depending on where you're starting, and see if that doesn't change the worry, fear, and anxiety in your life. And especially, not only for yourselves, but pray it as our Father. Aim it at your children, aim it at your friends, aim it at your enemies, aim it at your nation, your state, your world. Aim it toward heaven, right? See what happens. All right, quick prayer, and then I'll hang around if you want to chatter just a little bit. Hallow us, O Lord, and console us through Christ our Savior, by your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, friends, thanks for the time. Uh, it's nice to see you again. Um, I'll see you on Sunday. But uh, if you want to hang around and chatter just a little bit, that's okay. And if you want to go, that's okay, too. I know it's getting late, so um, see what happens. All right. Um, anyway, questions, anybody, or just anything you want to chatter about? Looking at a couple different translations, I've run across, we've got debtors, We've got trespasses. Yeah, right. Our sins. Right. I'm wondering, is shortcomings a reasonable translation from Greek? Yeah, it's so interesting, um, Rich. I've actually had some, I've talked to some people about this, but I haven't studied a lot. But what's interesting is that um, it seems that in English, people bent the prayer to fit their circumstance. So, no, I don't, I don't know if this is true, but we will test it as a thesis that it became trespasses when property ownership and non-property ownership became the biggest thing. So it narrowed it a bit. Forgive us our trespasses, right? So I heard the opposite, that the English were okay with debts, but the Scottish people couldn't conceptually <laughs> get rid of a debt or not. So maybe if you trespass it's not quite as a personal affront. Now that was a book on the book of common prayer that I read. So I don't know, but either way, one of them, you know, trespassing, you're not really breaking anything. Whereas canceling a debt, you really are. That's, that's fascinating because still you and I can't get the Scottish and the British to agree. So nothing new under the sun. Right. So, uh, you could, of course, be, you could be quite right. You know, forgive us. And I, it is how these things take a life of their own. You can't, um, even when the Pope suggested deliver us from the evil one rather than evil, uh, people were just all over the map with that, even though evil one is a quite proper way to translate that. So, you know, to be honest with you, 
forgive us our sins as, as we forgive those who sin against us. You know, those Greek words can be pulled in different directions and made more general or less specific. But, you know, I think you're right. If I had my way, I'd probably just go with sins uh, rather than sort of give it any sort of political import or kind of back and forth. And But we're also um, clever enough to expand it even as we pray, right? So I'm sure that when you pray tonight, Rich, you're not going to say, forgive us our trespasses and think about whether your garden hose got on the next door neighbor's lawn, right? You're thinking of something completely different. Yeah, right. So, yeah. So, you know, we inherit things and we have to expand them as we're able. Anybody else have anything you want to chatter about? Love you all. Say your prayers. I just, I beg you, you know, say your prayers. Um, Do your best. Say your prayers. Okay. Keep, keep going. All right. Love you. See you soon.